0: August 12th is our birthday and two years ago I was thinking about the exact day but July 21st God called us to start a church. I remember that week God was just dealing with me about um, a church and I wasn't sure. You know starting a church is not an easy thing. I know a lot of people have done it. How many of you know you cannot start a church unless God tells you to? People have tried to curate all kinds of things in God's name, but unless God commissions it, it will not stand. And so July 21st, I remember vividly God shared, a, a reminded me of some words that he had spoken to me a, couple, a year before. And um, about a month later, August 12th, we started Kingdom Church. And we have been extremely blessed, extremely blessed. T- two years in, we have our own space. Um, we have a lot of uh, different... Um, technology in the building we've been able to stream uh, our services online Uh, it's an amazing thing and it's definitely something that is worth giving the Lord Thanksgiving about so uh, we're gonna I think she mentioned we're gonna have some cookies and uh, cupcakes outside please grab one and those t-shirts I think are awesome you might want to grab one of those too Uh, if we run out which I don't think we will this first service we can always order more and uh, go ahead and grab that one Now, as I mentioned, I was out of town for about a month. Well, no, not a month. I was not preaching for about a month. Um, But I went out of town for two weeks. Some of y'all follow me on Instagram, on Facebook. uh, Long story short, I took a long road trip. I visited seven uh, states in the Northwest. Started in Colorado, and I went west, went up north, went back east, and then back to Colorado in, I was I, w- I was gone 13 days, but technically I was in one I was in Denver for about three of those days before and at the end at the end of the trip. Basically, in 10 to 13 days, I put 4,200 miles on a vehicle, and that was driving every single day, and it was awesome. America is a beautiful place, but also real quickly, America. Um, when we think of that way, we think it's just green, you know, forests everywhere, which there are a lot of forests, but there are several places in Oregon in washington in idaho in, in utah where it was dry just like odessa and i was like okay all right we're not that we're not all by ourselves over here who got some dry places um in different parts of the country and so um america is beautiful and uh, i was able just to see a couple different things one of the things quickly i'm going to share more about this next week as we continue the series but one of the things i took away from this vacation was the importance of rest um i uh I don't know if I mentioned it from the pulpit, but I know I mentioned it to a few people. Those last few weeks before I, w- I went away, I realized I was exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted. I remember, um, and I'll share this probably next week, but I remember we went to eat for Isaac's birthday, and we had dinner, and then we were going to go play games at my parents' house later that evening. Like right after that, it was like 7.30 and 8, and I realized that um, I just couldn't go. I was so tired, and I remember thinking, "This is not right. There's something not right about this. I shouldn't be this tired this early in the day. It's not like I had a super busy day." And I and I just remember thinking, "I'm tired. I'm exhausted." And so, this is part of the this is part of our reality as believers is to rest. And for many of us, it is a foreign concept. And when we're resting, we think we're not getting things done, but it's quite the opposite. When we rest. In the Lord, when he's telling us to, he actually does the work for us. And so I'm going to be talking more about that next week. That's one of the things I took away. And so it um, was really good. God spoke some things to me. This series is actually comes directly out of what I feel like the Lord spoke to me about, which we'll talk about in just a second. Now, we are starting a 21-day fast. How many of you are excited for our 21-day fast? Every year, we do two 21-day fasts. We start at the beginning of the year, and then we have one about midway through the year. Um, One of the reasons we do that, especially at the beginning of the year, is we say, Lord, this is your year. This is not my year. This is your year. I'm giving you these first several weeks as an offering asking you to speak to me, asking for your will to be done, asking for you to bless this year. And so uh, I really felt like um, last year, I guess it was last year, we we needed to do a second one at the second part of the year. And I really believe that this fast is going to be really important. I'm going to talk about just real briefly, what a fast is. Uh, but one of the things I think we're going to accomplish in this fast I don't know if you remember, about two or three weeks ago, um, I, I was introducing my dad, and I, and I shared a word that I felt like the Lord had spoken to me while we were doing worship. And just real briefly, this was the word. I feel like the Lord said that just like Jesus chose several disciples, what did He tell the disciples? He said, uh, "Drop your nets, drop what you're doing, and follow me." Remember that uh, Peter and um, Peter and um, Andrew were were tending their father's nets. And he said, "Hey, if you want to become um, disciples of men, drop your nets and follow me." They dropped what they were doing. I really felt just kind of in my spirit that God is telling Kingdom Church, and I believe also. The church in this area, in the global church, that there's coming a season where God is going to call us to walk in places with Him. We're going to have to learn to let go of more things. So, all of us came who have come to Jesus. If you truly come to Jesus, you have let you have let go of your past. You have let go of certain things. This is a constant journey that we have with the Lord, and I believe there's coming a time when God is asking us to let go of certain things. How many of y'all know this year has been crazy? I truly believe it's going to get crazier, and I believe this is just the beginning of it. Church, if I could look at everyone in the eyes, if we are not ready, we'll fall for whatever is coming. God is calling us to walk closer with him, further along with him. That requires us to let go of more things. So we're doing this fast. Now, uh, our our hosts have uh, fasting guides, so if you have not received them, would you just raise your hand? We're going to just pass those out really quickly um, raise your hand. Come on up, hosts. Come on up. Come on through the, to the aisles. Uh, this is a fast that uh, our team has put together. It will help you navigate these next 21 days. Briefly, briefly, briefly. because we've talked about this every time we fast. I want to go, I want to talk about what fasting is. Jensen Franklin says, biblical fasting is refraining, refraining from food For a spiritual purpose. Why do we fast? For a spiritual reason. There are three reasons, and there are many reasons we fast, but three reasons I like to highlight. Number one, we fast for God to move. We fast for God to speak. And we fast to give God first fruits. I already talked about that, giving God the first part of the year, for God to move, for God to speak. I want want us to look briefly at Daniel 10. I want to read a few verses in Daniel 10. In this passage, we learn about the Daniel fast. That's the fast I'm going to be doing. And just real quickly, there are, are several fasts. One of them is the Daniel fast. Daniel fast is no eating meat, no eating sugar, sweets, and no eating bread. So basically torture for three weeks. I've never done that, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. But I know it's going, to be, it's going to be a challenge, but it's going to be worth it. There is a partial fast where you give up a certain food or a certain uh, thing Or there's a full fast where you give up full meals, full days, which I've done that as well. I really want to encourage each of you to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to fast? And let me just tell you, if you're going to be fasting, you need to make up your mind today. Don't do it tomorrow. Don't do it because if you don't do it tomorrow, you will like, oh, I'll start Tuesday. And oh, I'm already a day late, so I'll start Wednesday. Oh, man, this whole week, I haven't been able to, so I'll start the second week. Decide today what you're going to fast. Um, That's really, really important if I can just give you a tip. In this story... Daniel is praying, and the word of God says he fasts. So we'll pick up with verse 1 of Daniel 10. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war, and great hardship. God gave Daniel several visions, but in this chapter, he gave him one vision. And then Daniel goes on to explain what was happening right before he got the vision. Verse 2, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three whole weeks, 21 days. At that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. Just so you know, I'm going I'm to use deodorant. I'm going to smell nice. We will we'll still do that. But basically what he's saying is I was denying myself. That's fasting. Fasting is denying yourself. Verse 4, on April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great... Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. He looks up and he sees a vision and sees a man standing at him. The next verses, 6 through 10, talk about what that man looked like and how Daniel kind of took, uh, took that revelation. You can read that on your own. Verse 11, and the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say." Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up still trembling. Verse 12, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you begin to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Real quickly, Psalm 145, 14 says, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down fasting is about denying yourself. It's not going to be easy. Your flesh is going, to, is going to hate it, especially if you like a certain food or a certain activity, your flesh is going to hate it. But the word of God says, the Lord raises up all who are bowed down. This is exactly what the angel did for Daniel. Look at verse 13. Check this out. This is fascinating to me. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future for this concerns of a time yet to come. This is the power of fasting. Daniel didn't realize it, but this angel came along and explained to him how he had been sent by God to give Daniel this message. And as we we're fasting, God wants to impart something to you. But it's going to require us to deny ourselves for a period of time. Maybe it's 21 days. Maybe it's seven days. Maybe it's a, it's a whole year. All of us have gone through seasons where we have asked the Lord to do specific things in our life. And it's taking some time for him to answer. The reason why it takes time is because there is a spiritual war in heaven. There is a spiritual war. Whether you realize it or not, there is a spiritual war going on. And the only way to fight this war is with spiritual weapons. And we, as we have learned, if you've been coming, some of our spiritual weapons are, are praying, getting in God's Word, being obedient to Him. I think most people are, are um, unaware of this battle. And unfortunately, those of us who are aware, most of us are apathetic. Truly, we're apathetic. And I had this, I had this uh, just thought come to mind. Maybe some of our grandparents are around during World War II, great-grandparents they heard of a war happening on the other side of the world, and maybe they did certain things to um, to contribute to to making sure that we won the war. But f- ha- but today, this war we have there is a world war going on. But it's not just on the other side of the world; it's happening today. Those of us who are apathetic. Many of us, and I've said this: Hey, the war is real. Okay, yeah, that's going on, but it's happening over there. No, it is happening today. There are bombs. There are our enemy is a, are around us, trying to destroy us. Unless we wake up to that fact, we will not fast. We will not begin to surrender things to the Lord. We're going to have to fight if we're going to see a victory, and this is one of the ways that we fight. One of the things we do during this, during these 21 days of fasting, are nights of prayer. And it's something that's unique to us. I haven't come across uh, uh, anyone else, and I know there's probably several churches, but that have not just 21 days of fasting, but also 21 nights of prayer. Have any of y'all ever been desperate before? Anybody, before you got married to your spouse or maybe you're dating somebody and things weren't right and maybe you really made uh, her mad and you you had to get back into her good graces, what did you do? To try to make her happy again. Did you skip a day? Did you skip two days? Anybody ever. Has anyone ever almost lost their house. Or lost a car? Been that desperate? I guarantee you. If you have been desperate. You do not stop. You do not rest one day. Until that issue is resolved. This is one of the things we're doing. During our 21 nights of prayer. We're saying Lord. It doesn't matter what I have planned. I'm going to block off 7 in the evening to 8, in the, to about 8, eight fifteen in the evening, and I'm going to meet with your church because I'm desperate. I'm telling you, God is asking us to walk in places with him where we've never walked before, and we're not going to be able to do it unless we fully surrender to him. So I just want to encourage you. We're going to be fasting. We're going to be praying. Please join us. This is really important. There have been uh, a couple prophetic words I've heard, where I've heard that not, not the Lord specifically to me, but people have shared how the rest of this year is just going to get a little bit crazier, and we have to be ready. We have to be ready. I keep going on that on that point, but I'm going to keep going. So today we are starting a series called the Relevant Church. The fast I think is going to coincide with it. So before we get going anymore, I want us to pray one more time and ask the Lord to speak specifically to each of us. I believe He has a specific word for each person who is listening in here and also online. So Father, in Jesus' name, we just surrender to you. We ask for your will to be done. We want to be part of a church that is relevant to this community, that is relevant to our world. God, I'm tired of the church being laughed at, being mocked. And the reason we are laughed at mocked at is because we have not revealed your power to the world. And so Father, I pray that you would show each of us our part to play in once again having a church that is relevant to our society, to our families. And just say, Jesus, I give you my ears. I give you my heart. I give you permission to speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So during the vacation, I am gonna be honest. Just be honest. The first week, I didn't think about anyone or anything. I, I tuned in that first Sunday, and it, I was I didn't I even thought about not tuning. In. I'm like, I just don't care. I don't care this week, um, because I was exhausted. And again, we'll talk about that hopefully next week. But about midway during the vacation, I the Lord began to speak to my heart about this topic. And I felt impressed to start this conversation. In the church world, and many of us have been a part of both of these churches, there are typically two types of churches, especially in America. There is a traditional church, very traditional um, pews, hymns, and then there is the contemporary or modern church. How many of y'all have been to both of those churches? I have. I've, I've visited both churches. Now, I just want to say this, and we have actually a traditional church right down the hallway. We are meeting in a traditional church. They don't have a contemporary service, so we are the contemporary service in the building. There is not one service that is better than the other. I believe that each type of church ministers to specific needs. However, both can either be relevant or irrelevant. I think that's one of the knock on traditional churches is they haven't stayed relevant to the times and adjusted methods or w- whatever to reach people true or not true but i believe that just because we have a modern or contemporary church does not mean that we are automatically relevant now what does relevant mean i'm going to give you just a couple working def- a couple of working definitions first definition relevant means it's an adjective means to be closely connected or appropriate to what is being done or considered. Second, when appropriate to the current time, period, or circumstances of, con- or of contemporary interest. So one of the words that sticks out to me is appropriate. Something that is relevant, maybe, um, this is kind of a silly definition I just thought of, but if you're playing, if you're playing football or playing soccer, to have shoulder pads and, and, and football pads would not help you in a soccer game because you need to be able to run fast you need to be able to be agile, and having that extra weight is not going to help you. Those pads are not relevant to the game. They're, of no, they're really of no use. Maybe you don't get hurt as much, but you're not going to be able to run as fast, right? Anybody, have you ever gone to somebody and asked them for advice? And like, let's just say you're pouring out your heart to them. They listen to you for however long you were talking to them, and then they, they say something that has nothing to do with what you were talking about. Anybody ever been there? In that situation, what they had to say was not relevant to what you were going through. And I, I've been in many of those conversations. I've been in those situations. Like man, I just wasted an hour, wasted a lunch, I just wasted whatever. Because we want things that are relevant for us. Is that right? We want relevancy. I believe that the church as a whole is not relevant or effective to the degree that God created us to be. Just another example, if you've been coming uh, to Kingdom for a while, you know we've talked about uh, racial injustice and how we as a church need to uh, speak to that. We've talked about COVID, and our church, of course, has responded. by We, we shut down for a couple months and, and, and started meeting together, we as a church have done our best, not perfect, have done our best to speak to the specific needs that are happening in our society today. I was just talking with somebody the other day of another church, um, a big church in our state that ha- their pastor has not once mentioned anything that has gone on during, the, during this past year. And I, and I remember thinking, and they, and they were talking about how they were disappointed because they're part of this church. And I thought, this is, this is sad. I don't know. And pastors, for whatever reason, sometimes we want to s- step away from some of these issues because we don't want people, we don't want to lose people, this and that. But how many of you know if we can't speak to the needs of to the people, why should anyone come to Jesus? No one should come to Jesus. If we can't speak to specific, and this is why we live in a postmodern world where people are not growing up in church. They don't even care about Jesus. They only care about someone or anything that is going to give them their life meaning. The reason why the church has lost its relevancy is because we have not done that for the people who are coming in. We just assume that our methods that we've had for 30, 40, 50 years are going to pass on to the next generation. They're not. And God is calling us to come back and have a relevant church. Now, one of the reasons I believe that God, uh, one of the reasons I believe that the church is not relevant is this. this. I believe, listen carefully, the church has become a consumer-oriented business and not a God-centered organization. The church has become a consumer-oriented. Oriented business, what can the church do for me? How can the church serve me in my family? And it's not been about how we can serve God. When people walk into church consciously, and we have some new visitors, and so maybe you you thought this, I'm not trying to to put y'all down or anyone down that's ever thought this, but this is just we we have we have conditioned people to think this way. If you ever if you have ever walked into a new church and you're looking for a home church, you've had these thoughts. I wonder how this church can help me in my problems. I wonder if the church has a good kids ministry. I wonder uh, what the, the preaching's like. I wonder what the worship's like. I wonder what kind of people I'm going to see around me, right? Yes. We, have, we have gone through this, this process, these processes of questions, seeing if a church is right for us. And I believe that one of the reasons that we have done that is because churches, what draws people to God is the power of God. If you read, I'm jumping kind of towards the end, but one of the things that, that uh, attracted people to Jesus is because he did miracles. He met the needs of the people. And because the church has, not, has lost for the most part the power of God, we've had to do something else to draw people in. And so what we have done is we have catered to the needs of people. We've developed all types of groups, help groups, marriage groups, small groups. We've, we've uh, had parties. We've had Plays and dramas, not saying any of those things are bad, but if we are using those things instead of asking God to show up powerfully in someone else's life, we are, we are creating a church that is centered around people's needs and not around what God is asking us to do. Listen carefully. We don't come to church for what church can do for us. We come to church so, so that we can minister to the needs of people and therefore minister to God's needs. Likewise, we don't come to Jesus for what he can do for us. We come to Jesus because we know we're sinners and we know we need a Savior. So I want to spend just a few minutes going over what the Bible says about church. I think this is really important so you know I'm not making this up. I want us to just briefly go through some verses that speak specifically to what the church is and what the church's job is. So Matthew, if you have your Bible, Matthew 16 verse 13, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples and he asks his disciples, who do you guys say I am? We have all these people saying that I'm one of the prophets, that I'm a false prophet, that I'm this and that. But who do you guys say that I am? Peter stands up and he gives this response. He says, Jesus, you are the one who the prophets have prophesied about for hundreds and even thousands of years. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Verse 17, this is Jesus' response to him. Blessed are you, Simon. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. He said, no, no one told you this. You didn't come up with this. You didn't figure this out on your own. But my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you, Peter, he said, "Um, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, this power. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the first place in the New Testament where we see the word church. And God, and Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this belief that I am the son of God. Very important to understand. Most of us know this, maybe you haven't heard this. The church, nowhere in the Bible, uh, 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 God never used the word church to describe a building. The church is not a building. We are the building. We are, we are the temple of God. This is simply a place where we meet, okay? Back to the text. First, two things we learned in, in, in this passage. Jesus will build the church on this core that Jesus is the son of God. So basically, when someone believes in Jesus, gives their life to him, they become born again and they become part of the universal church, the spiritual body of Christ. So if you've given your life to Jesus, you're part of the church. Now, belief This is a whole other uh, sermon. Belief is not simply saying something or just believing something. Biblical belief uh, implies that your life shows that you've actually turned away from things you used to believe, and now you're fully embracing things that you have confessed to believe. Many people, thinking they have given their life to Jesus, simply repeated a prayer. Simply said, oh, I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. But their life has not proven that they have forsaken the things they used to believe. True belief is turning, is turning away from sin and turning into Jesus. So Jesus is going to build this, uh, his church on this, on this core truth. And second of all, Jesus will give us power. Real quickly, power is influence. How influential is the church today? It's mocked. It's not very, not very influential. There, and I, just by that simple statement, we come to this conclusion that the church doesn't have power. Now, I want us to go to Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one, verse four. In Acts chapter one, Luke is actually the writer of uh, of the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, Luke talks about how Jesus um, rose from the dead and he appeared to the disciples. If you remember, Jesus said, and we're going to read it, after he was raised from the dead, after the disciples saw him, Jesus gave them a commandment. Don't leave Jerusalem until you have been given the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in another verse, it says, till you have been given power from heaven. Don't go anywhere. So that was, this is the first the first, step, that, the first uh, step of instructions that Jesus gave his disciples is don't go anywhere until you have power. Because unless you have power, you're going to have what we have today. He didn't say that, but in the future, this is what's happening. Because we have lost the power of God, we're, we're making up man-made uh, uh, um, um, contraptions to figure out how to get people in. The power of God was what draws people in. Acts 1 verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Uh, Go down to verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again, just wanted to show you this in the Bible. Jesus said, don't go anywhere. So we have power. Once you receive the power from the Holy Spirit, you're going to be able to be witnesses, not only to people in Jerusalem, and not only to this area around Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. If you continue reading in Acts 1 and Acts 2, you see that the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples. And we see a group of disciples who were who were scared for their lives and ran away when Jesus was crucified, boldly come out of the upper room and begin to speak about Jesus. And they said, hey, we're ready to do whatever it takes to make sure that everyone knows who Jesus is. And if you, if you read church history, all of them were lost their life. They were all martyred for Jesus. That is the type of power they received. It's the type of power that God wants us to have. Go down to verse 41. Peter gives a sermon to the people who are listening, and then I'm going to read what happens directly after that sermon. Because I believe in these next few verses, we as a church have to get back to if we're going to, if we're going to be look like what the original church looked like. Look at verse 42. 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people came to know Jesus in one day. That is the power that we have. Most churches are lucky if they have a handful of people come to Jesus each day, each week. We have access to this power. Verse 42, what did they do next? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common." They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And listen to this. And day by day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. What was the result of all, when they did, there's six verses here. When they did all these things, what was the result? Look at verse, look at the end of verse 47. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. If we go through this passage again, there's one thing that we would learn from the original church. They were committed. They were committed. They were much more committed than most churches are today. Verse 42, they devoted themselves. Verse 43, they had all things in common. Verse 45, they sold everything they had and gave it to those who had need. Verse 46, they had met every day in the temple and in their houses, praising God. There were no questions about what the church could offer. There was no, well, I'm going I'm to step into this, into this temple, I'm going to step into this house and see if this works for my lifestyle. There were no questions about that. There was simple commitment. And we know this is true because the Bible says they sold everything they had and gave to those in need they were not looking for what the church could do for them. They were looking for what they could do for the church. Are y'all beginning to see this? Are you beginning to see that the church, as the most part, and, and we have been guilty of this, of, uh, and guilty of becoming a consumer-oriented business. Now, let me just say, there's nothing wrong with these different, these different um, things that we have. There's nothing wrong with kids' ministry and, and, and good worship and, and good preaching and these cameras. There's nothing wrong with that. But if all we do is try to minister to people and not begin to lead them and show them, hey, this is really not about you. This is not about you. This is not about your needs being met. This is actually about knowing that, knowing that you're a sinner and that, G- that you need a Savior and that in in response to what Jesus did for you, lay down your life for people. If we don't know this, then we are making church about something else. What's interesting is a few days after I, I – so I had – Everything I just shared with you, I had, I kind of thought about uh, during the week. Towards the end of my trip, I heard a sermon by a guy named Todd White. How many of y'all have heard of Todd White? Awesome man of God. If you've seen him, he has dreadlocks, uh, long dreadlocks, loves Jesus. Uh, he's gone all over the world. He's, healed. he's uh, prayed for people to be healed, they've been healed. He's given specific words from the Lord for people. Well documented. Awesome man of God. A couple weeks ago, a sermon was released, uh, that he released, and in this sermon, he is apologizing for not preaching the whole gospel. And he said, it's not that I didn't believe it, I just didn't know how to communicate it. And he said, I've always preached Jesus' is love, Jesus loves people, but more times than I should have, I left off the fact that God is not just pure love, he's also pure, he's purely Just. And the reason that we, that, we, that we need to give our life to Jesus is because we have offended a holy God. Most Christians don't understand that. We've offended a holy God. He said, most of us, we, we tell people, come to Jesus because your life, if, you're, if you don't like your life, you don't like the way it's going, just come to Jesus. He'll give you a better life. He said, that is not the truth. That is not the truth. Now, the truth is, Jesus does make us better, but it's through trials and tribulations that he makes us better. Is that right? And if you ever been through something that you didn't like, and then in the end, you realize, hey, I needed to go through that. I needed, Because I didn't realize, I, I didn't see that blind spot in my life. I didn't realize I was selfish. I didn't realize I had unforgiveness. He said, we tell people to come to Jesus because their life is going to be better. And then when life gets bumpy, what happens? They get offended by God. And if you all ever been offended by God, did you know that God wants to offend you? He wants to offend your flesh because he knows that if you continue serving your flesh, it'll lead to destruction and you'll eventually turn away from him. This is the reason why we go through trials and tribulations because God is on a mission to crucify ourselves. He said something that was really powerful. He said, he's telling God, God, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to go through this refinement because it hurts. And, he's, and, and God told him, he said, it wouldn't hurt if you were dead. It wouldn't hurt if you were dead. It wouldn't hurt if you would truly surrender to me and say, not my will, Todd, but your will be done, Jesus. He said, we've done a disservice. He also threw out a statistic that said, listen to this, 85% of people, there's a statistic going around that says, 85% of people who turn to Jesus fall away. Eight to nine out of 10 people who give their life to Jesus on a Sunday morning fall away. You know why? They fall away. It's because we're only telling them half the truth. But if we tell people, hey, this life is not about you. Yeah, Jesus wants to give you love. He wants to give you peace. But those are simply fruits of what he's calling you to do. So if we will tell people the truth, they'll be ready for it. But the reason people come to Jesus so much is because we don't tell them. We don't tell them the whole truth that, hey, this is actually not about you. You've offended a holy God, and yes, he's full of forgiveness. Yes, he's full of mercy, but you have a responsibility to lay down your life because he laid down his life for you. Real quickly, Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to them, If any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. When's the last time you felt like you were giving to the church more than you were receiving? I've been there. That's when you know you're committed to the church. Because it's not about what you can get out of it. It's about what you can give to the Lord. If you're going to the church, for, if you are going to this church or any church for any reason other than God, you know God is calling you here. And you're supposed to be here no matter what. Listen, you're going to run out of reasons to go here. If you're going to church because I like the preaching or I like the worship or I like the kids' ministry, those reasons will run out. I've been around church long enough where people change, methods change. And if you're going to church for a specific reason, those reasons are going to run out. But if you're going to church not because of what you can get out of it, but because you are called to a holy body, to a holy organization, which is the body of Christ... God, you will always have a reason. God will always give you a reason to be here. Church, it's not about us. If we're going to be a relevant body, if we're going to be a relevant organization in our communities, we have to realize this is not about us. This is about him. If you would just please stand. I want to end with one story, and then we'll pray. So I was, last, this past Tuesday, I was, um, I was reading the book of Acts and um, I, and we're going to be studying the book of Acts because I really believe that this, we need to go back to the early church and really study what they did because they got results. We need to reevaluate what we're doing and go to the, the Word and, and say, Lord, how do we need to change our methods to fit the methods of the early church? Because they actually saw thousands of people come to Jesus all the time. And so I was reading, and there's a story in Acts 4 Where uh, I believe it's Peter and John are walking to the temple to pray and they see a man who is crippled. And the man calls out to them and says, hey, alms, money, I need money. Can you please spare me a dollar? Whatever they had back then. Can you spare me some change? And Peter looks at him and says, hey, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have we will give to you. And he says, rise up and walk. The Bible says that man rose up and walked, and started walking. Everyone around him heard, everyone around this man saw what had happened, and the news spread out the whole city, throughout the whole city and area that this man was raised, this man who had been crippled for a long time. And the Word of God says that 5,000 people came to Jesus because of that one instance. And I remember thinking, I was like, God, that's what we need. We need the power of God. And this fit in exactly with what I felt like the Lord had been speaking to me. The church does not have the power of God the way that we should, and yet we do have some of His power, but we do not have the power that the early church had. And I thought, Lord, that's what we need. That's why we've created these uh, these man-made things, uh, mechanisms to get people in because if we could just see the power of God, if we could just see a miracle, people would come to you, right? How many of y'all, if y'all saw somebody, their eyes were blind since they were born, and, and, and we prayed for them, or somebody prayed for them, and you would go check out what's happening at that church or at this church, right? Who wouldn't? And I remember telling the Lord, Lord, if we could just see a miracle, if we could just see your power, they would come. And so sharply, the Lord told me, I said, Josh, I know they would come. If I poured out my power on your church or on you or whoever, I know they would come. That's why I'm not pouring out my power on them because when I pour out my power, they'll come. But if the church is about people, not about me, you'll destroy them. And I realized, I really believe this is why we're not seeing miracles today. They're seeing miracles in other countries because in other countries, they don't care about what what, what God can do for them. They're worried about what they can do for God. The American church has made church about people And God said, I will not pour out my power on people who are going to make it about other people. If we're going to be a relevant church, we're going to have to make this again about Jesus.